Bismillah, walhamdulillah, wassalatu wassalam ala rasulillah. You're about to listen to an interview with one of the teachers from Seekers Hub Global. This is part of a series that we're calling Learn to Live, where we'll be exploring the journey of the student of knowledge by speaking with the teachers and the students who are traveling that path. We'll explore what inspired them to pursue the path of knowledge. We'll chronicle some of their stories and experiences along the way, and we'll ask them to share with us their best advice for the students of today. To learn more about our teachers, you can visit seekershub.org slash teachers. With that, let's get on with the interview. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullah. Zakallah khair, Sheikh for doing the interview. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to have you. It's always good to see you. So to start things off, could you tell us the story of how you came to Islam? My path to Islam, and it's of course I say this retrospectively, it was essentially a path that involved a search after the fitrah. Of course I didn't know it was the fitrah then, but it was really a search for the natural disposition that every human being is endowed with. And I was searching without being conscious that I was searching. And outwardly, it started with social consciousness, becoming aware of that social realities that are happening around us, being aware of that other things that are happening in the world, and there actually is a country other than the United States of America, and that not everything operates like the way things operate in the United States of America, and starting to learn that about the struggles of different peoples in different places, and all of that with a way of being that was rooted in a, a deep appreciation, which I've always had from the time I was young, and I attribute that to my father, of culture, and of having a willingness to expose myself to different cultures and to different people, and of being very comfortable in doing so, and then allowing to expand the horizons of my mind as a result, and uh, seeing that things then from different perspectives. And I think all of that gave me an openness to a quote-unquote other mm-hmm. that didn't that start from a vantage point of demonization, rather appreciation. And with that as kind of the backdrop, we had a number of changes in our lives over a period of a few years. We stopped eating pork, then we stopped eating red meat, we became vegetarians and vegans, the type of music that we listened to changed and so forth and so on. And we really eventually became a bit estranged from other people that are around us because that we felt something was fundamentally wrong with the modern world and that we wanted to recapture something that we believed that should exist within the human being. And really when I read the stories, and this really actually came uh, clear to me recently, when I read the stories of the Hunafa that, of, that were during the time of the Prophet and just before, there's a lot of similarities to the way they were described in between what I was actually going through. I was raised as a Christian, but at a particular point, I just couldn't accept certain tenets of Christianity. And although I believed Jesus was a prophet, there was things that I was troubled by, things like original sin and, of course, the Trinity. Uh, but at the same time, I had a respect for prophets. I knew nothing really about Islam, but I had a belief in one God. And I would do a particular type of worship. It began with more, more of like a supplication than it led to 
like a lighting of candles, each one of which had a significance and so forth. Anyhow, um, as this kind of went on, at one point I was exposed to Islam. And for me, my conversion was remarkably easy. Because as a result of a lot of these changes, literally everything that I was searching for without realizing that I'm searching for something, I almost instantaneously found in Islam. And all I did was enter into a mosque, listen to a khutbah, be exposed to the Muslim community and read a few pamphlets. And for me, everything clicked. Now, it took me a, a bit of time to actually take my shahada, but everything literally clicked. And it was almost as if, and this is not as if this is what happened, Allah was preparing me for that exposure. And then when I was exposed to Islam, I realized this is the truth and this is for me. And I became Muslim uh, sometime after that. And alhamdulillah, this is a, it was an immense blessing from Allah. I remember actually, it was an interesting story. Preparing for my shahada, uh, my very close friend became uh, Muslim a week before I did, and I wanted to enter into Islam fully. And so anything that I had bought from haram money that I gave away, and I wanted to enter into Islam strong in with pure intention. And I remember calling a friend of mine the day before, he was a close friend of mine, and I wanted to explain to him, hey, look, I'm becoming Muslim tomorrow. And the things that we used to do, I can no longer do. And so I, when I called him, this is the day before, I became Muslim on a Friday, and it was Thursday. I woke him up when I called him. And I started telling him that, hey, just let you know, Eric, that I'm going to become Muslim tomorrow. And he said, you know, John, that I was just having a dream, that you came to me in my dream, and I woke him up from that dream. And you told me in my dream that I'm going to meet the king tomorrow. Mm. And the next day then I went in to convert and um, that Sheikh Hamza Yusuf had brought a teacher from Mauritania, Sheikh Khatri Wal-Bayba, whose uh, sister was married to Marabat al-Hajj, uh, Rahimahullah. And um, that when I met this individual, is that, that one of the last books that I read just before becoming Muslim um, was a book titled Mutant Message Down Under. And it was really about you know, the modern world and how that we oftentimes think Aboriginal type peoples are the ones who are like mutants, when in reality, that modern people are really more like mutants. And that's really was right where I was at. And um, then to meet this individual who was this incredible example of a very regal desert person that was just raw, but authentic. And um, it was like a living example of one of these pure we people and uh, I, I converted with him and the very next day he invited me to go to Mauritania and uh, sometime after that that's where the path for me you know, began of study and so forth but I'm very thankful to Allah and I, I remember that taking after taking my shahada is that the weight that I was carrying on my shoulders before that just all of these dunyawi worldly worries of what kind of job are you going to have? That who are you going to marry? Where are you going to live? All of these things that you constantly stress over and think about. It was really amazing because when I took my shahad, it was as if that I was carrying a big boulder of that worry on my shoulder that was lifted. And you know, from the bounty of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, you know, it never really came back. And um, 
that there was like a lightness that, you know, however you want to describe it, you feel childlike or almost like you could fly. But there's a reality when people become Muslim and that when Allah forgives you of your past sins, is that that affects the way that you feel. There's no doubt about it. Islam, Islam, that erases that which came before it. So, alhamdulillah wa shukurillah. Alhamdulillah ala ni'mat al-Islam wa kafa biha min Alhamdulillah. When did you decide that you were going to pursue a serious course of study in Islam? For me, that began uh, shortly after I became Muslim. I was privileged to be in the community of Sheikh Hamza Yusuf. And he had brought that teacher that I'd mentioned, Sheikh Khutr al-Bayba, to teach. And within months of becoming Muslim, they had started a circle of learning where they were uh, studying a text by a West African scholar by, name, by the name of Sidi Abdul Wahid ibn Ashar, Metan al-Murshid al-Mu'in, the helping guide. And when I started to study this text, two or three lessons into it, I was just completely, I just, I can't even describe how I felt. I mean, I was just completely that enamored with what I was learning. And um, I had always gotten good grades in school and whatever. Never really had a connection to my teachers and never really cared too much about school. Just kind of did it because that was what you had to do and get into college and get a degree and, hey, get into the work field. Uh, but... I was never passionate about learning. There was something happened to me when I started studying this text that it just completely that attracted me like a magnet. And um, it's a, a really, really that amazing text. And that in terms of the topics that it covers, it covers you know belief, practice, and also spirituality. Um, but it also, I attribute a lot of it to is what I came later to know, is that the sincerity of the intention of the author, there was something about it that was abnormal and normal for us as Muslims, but for me as a new Muslim, it wasn't you know, what I was used to. And I came to understand is that these sciences are coded with light, is that they you know, touch your heart in ways that other types of knowledge won't, even with a righteous intention. They'll benefit you, but they won't touch you in this particular way. And it was extremely transformative. And for me, it was after I was exposed to this text and the joy and literally pleasure that went along with learning it. To me, it was very clear at that point. You know, I was like, I have to drop out of college and to go study. And that was the one thing that my mother said before becoming Muslim was that whatever you do, do not leave the university. And when I had just studied this one text, and of course you have someone who's brilliant and amazing, like Sheikh Hamza, translating and adding a bit of his commentary that obviously helped, that it was that, I don't even know the word to describe it, riveting, enthralling, that amazing, that I was left, I just choose the words that you fill in the blanks, but it was really, really powerful and transformative, and it was really that experience that led me to uh, take a path of learning to go overseas and study. What were your next steps after that? I went to Mauritania um, and the within a year of conversion in the summer of 1997. And I met Marabat al-Hajj and I met some of the teachers there. And 
then I would go back at a later time where I actually started to study. When I first studied in Mauritania, I didn't have Arabic. I was trying to learn what I could there. And then a friend of mine who had been studying Syria came, and his Arabic was very good. And so I realized that I really needed to touch up on my Arabic. And so I went to Syria to focus upon Arabic and then came back to Mauritania. And um, it was, for me, really just very easy that just, Yallah, dedicate your life to this that the places to study were facilitated, I had friends that indicated to me where I needed to go, and that every step along the way, there was just divine facilitation. And um, my parents were always amazed because they were used to the fact that if you're not at home, kind of on vacation, that every week equals, okay, a hotel costs this much, meals cost this much, so meaning if you're going to be gone for a week or a month, is it this is the amount of money that you need. And so they were, they didn't know how I was living not having a job and that type of thing and not understanding what happens when you go to traditional societies, especially places like Mauritania, where there was a deep respect for students of knowledge and that people there just would take care of you, literally. And that's what actually, when my parents met Sheikh Khutri before I went overseas to study, as he told them, I'm going to take better care of them than you take, than you do. <laughs> so, what was the one thing that stood out to you from those early experiences in these traditional societies? There's no doubt it was the living representation. It was the, there was no doubt it was the living representatives of this dean. It was seeing those living scholars before your eyes. And that not just reading the book, but seeing that book implemented in the examples before you. And the presence of someone like Marabit al-Hajj, for instance, someone who was constantly in a state of the remembrance of Allah Ta'ala, who just had heba. You were just in awe of him. And you realized, even as a beginner, this is a very special, saintly person. And I remember being in the masjid, for instance, when he was still strong enough to walk into the masjid and pray is that you'd be sitting there waiting for prayer, but then all of a sudden you could feel Marabat al-Hajj approach. It was like this sakina, and this tranquility just covered everyone that was there in the masjid. And then he would, as he would normally do, call the adhan, and then the iqamah, and then lead the prayer. And it was just special. It wasn't like praying behind other people. You could feel this person's presence. And... um that to me, of, of, of all of the amazing experiences and all the amazing that dimensions of living in a traditional society and studying, to me really stands out. Those are the golden experiences and moments of life for me, are those moments of interaction with that the living representatives of the religion. Can you tell us your favorite story of one of your teachers? Oh, mashallah, tabarakallah. That is a difficult challenge. <laughs> anyone that comes to mind. Okay, that's easier. <laughs> you just tell me anyone that comes to mind. You know, when you see these people in action, and you observe them, and you read them, and uh, you try to absorb you know, something of their presence to then motivate you to, that take the path to a latata. Seriously, is that the, the really the the main thing that that sticks out in your mind uh, are their character traits, 
and just the way that they are and um, the, the way that they interact with people. And, um, you know, it's, it's, I, I was just um, telling someone earlier a story of one of my teachers where we were on our way to um, Australia and we were heading to check in. We were in the airport from Bali, Indonesia. And one of his students, whom I knew from Tarim, that came up to him as we were walking towards the check-in line. And this teacher of mine had that a that um, customized pair of expensive Birkenstock sandals because of his bad back that he had to wear. And the student comes up and says, can I take your sandals? And without hesitation, he gave his sandals. And then the student gave him that some really, that ugly, way too large, odd, cheap sandals. Look like clodhoppers. And when we were walking to the check-in, I, I was just upset. Like, how could this... You're going to Australia. You know, this is, you know, important that, you know, someone takes these things into consideration. He needs those, medically speaking. And, you know, I said, I said to my teacher, I said, you know, that, you know, have you, look at the shoes that, that, that he gave you. I said, have you, they're way too big for you. And like, I was upset that that person, I was like, how could that, he do that? And he was totally unbothered by the situation. And that he looked down and says, Yanni, what's wrong with that? He says that the Prophet said, used to love wide sandals. And I was just like, La ilaha It was just like one of those moments that this is something, you know, this is something, it's it's just so, you know, similar that you would imagine. I remember that when I first became to expose to my teacher's teachers, one of them, one of our, one of them said to me, um, and this was uh, one of our, you know, teachers in the West that said about, their teachers, who just so happens the teacher of my teachers. And they said that, I've always imagined that when I was around this particular person, they said, this is what it would have been like to have been around the Prophet. And that's really, I think, what sticks out to me is that. It's just the prophetic character. And I, one time after just really being taken by, you know, one of my teacher's presents, I came back. And he and one of his students and I were in a room. This is one of his top students. And I just said, you know, who is he? Who is he? And he said, Mir'at al-Mustafa. He is the mirror of the chosen one, sallallahu alayhi wa In other words, I said, this is, he's just a reflection ultimately of Sayyidina Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa and how he was. And it's really those instances of that being with them. You know, I, one of the most powerful images I have is actually swimming with my teachers and I later came I recently came across a uh, story of the seerah that in the story is that the Prophet was with the companions and they were at a place called Ghadir Ma' and then the Prophet that said to the companions because they were all swimming together 
فَلْيَسْبَحْ أَحْكُلُّكُمْ إِلَى صَاحِبِهِ He says, let all of you swim to his closest companion. And then the narration says that each companion swam to their closest companion. And they said that the only two that remained was the Prophet And then the Prophet swam to Abu Bakr. And this is one of the narrations where then he went on to say, is that were I to have taken a Khalil, an intimate friend, I would have taken, right? Abu Bakr is a Khalil. Uh, but just imagine that situation where you have the best of creation, sallallahu alaihi swimming with the companions, and then not just swimming with them, that finding ways to create a deep sense of that mutual love for one another, connection, the relationships between them, and so forth, and calls out to them, "Let all of you swim to his companion," and then everyone does, swims to their closest companion, and he swims to Sayyidina Bakr. I mean, subhanallah, these type of stories. Uh, when you uh, think about them, it just makes you want to melt. And uh, that you realize is that those interactions and those experiences and that the beauty and really sweetness of them are really the golden moments of life. You know, that, that you, you know, really are preparing you for the experience of the bliss of paradise. What was it like after... So many years of studying overseas and at the hands of some of the great giant scholars of our times to come back to the West and back to America and then begin teaching. There's no doubt it was very difficult. And especially when you came from a very protected spiritual environment, you oftentimes felt like a fish out of water. The nature of that our society, one of being that's secular and materialistic and all of the other things that that underlie that people's interactions and the vibe that one feels that when you just walk the streets here that affects the way that we experience it and i think that increasingly from the bounty of allah ta'ala there are more and more that sanctuaries and safe havens and beautiful environments for people to that maintain that much of that feeling experience that they had. But uh, I think uh, for a lot of people still is that they are that in a that, that desolate spiritually that place where that they don't have a lot of, they don't have infrastructure there, uh, that an existing infrastructure to preserve that um, some of these, the, these, these great experiences that they had uh, overseas, so there's no doubt that it was difficult, and you know part of that is well is that I think that it's so important for us to develop that beginning schools here, so that when people do go overseas or if they do go overseas, is that they've done their basics here, and that that will serve twofold. It will help them in their studies overseas, uh, but also too it will help them that readjust because. That they, you know, much of the way now increasingly has been paved, and they're going to know what they're going to come back to. They're going to know what it is uh, that they can expect. But when you just step away and you're gone for five, seven years, and you're used to that intensely spiritual environments and being around very, very special people, and all of a sudden you come home to a, a very secular country that that is operates completely differently than many of these places that we've experienced 
even just basic things like that uh, getting renting a house if you haven't had a rent history for uh, seven years or you know getting a credit card getting a bank account you know very simple things like this oftentimes you know are quite challenging and um, that takes time you know to get used to and to readjust but you know I think that that's it's definitely getting better because of the efforts that are taking place in places like Canada and places like America, England, and other places that people are coming back to, and Western countries in general. And it's going to be easier for the next generation, next generation. Hopefully, we will eventually establish institutions here at home uh, that can serve the needs of our community while preserving the relationships overseas because we'll still need them for a number of things. All of the Asanid in Chains of Narration come from where we are here in North America, the East, and so we have to preserve those relationships and still send people to further their studies and so forth. And um, that it will be easier, though, because of you know the infrastructure that's being built here. Can I ask you to leave us with a, a piece of advice for anybody that's on the path of knowledge or looking to embark upon that journey? The uh, greatest blessing of all after... Um, that the blessing of Iman and believing in the teachings of our Prophet Sallallahu in Islam is to that is two things one to seek sacred knowledge and they both go hand in hand and to be around rightly guided scholars those are the two greatest blessings of all after the blessing of faith which in reality are like one blessing learning from the people of Allah and um, that is the single most important thing that those that want to be truly successful in this world and the next need to do. And if you would look at the story of every single successful person who's ever been successful, the accounts of which that we have in our that vast biographical literature, every single one of them, with the except in the rarest, rarest, rarest of exceptions, Every single one of them had that rightly guided pious teachers. It's as simple as that. They all were with the righteous and learned from the righteous. Every great imam that became a great imam, every righteous person that became a righteous person, without exception, is that they sat before righteous people and they learned from them. That is the only way to do it. And what we hope is, is that we have increasingly in places like North America and in Western countries, living links of this tradition, people that have synthesized what it means to be Muslim and to live in the West and that aren't trapped in any dichotomy and that are bringing the light of the teachings of the Prophet Sallallahu here and then being conduits for people to tap into this unbelievable reservoir that will lead to that all good. And um, I'm very hopeful and optimistic but I think we also need to realize is that of these thousand and one pieces of the puzzle that to be put in place for the future of our communities, especially in Western countries and really wherever Islam does spread, is that the single most important piece of that puzzle is that building sound educational institutions. I have absolutely no doubt about that. If we cannot 
educate the upcoming generation and to train a generation of scholars that are then going to give us guidance that understand the needs of our people and to help us to be able to live that with correct belief, correct practice, and deep spirituality, there's no way that we can truly progress as a Muslim community. That has to be crystal clear for all of us. and doesn't mean that that's the only thing that we need. We need a lot of other things as well, but that's the most important of all of the other things that we need. It is that dimension which, if it is present, everything else has meaning, but if it is absent, nothing else will truly be beneficial. It will always be lacking. We have to simply have that there is that no way around it. So, inshallah, we hope that we'll be able to see that you know, endeavors of this nature and educational institutions appear, and we need many of them, and that we are very excited to see the scholar change and transmission coming to our lands, and that we're very, very optimistic for the future of Bidinai Ta'ala. Uh, that requires us, no doubt, to put in a lot of the work, but that's what we have to do, is to put in the work and to place our hopes in our Lord. Inshallah, that we will all witness great things in our lifetimes, that let alone, inshallah, that from what's going to happen after that, inshallah. Jazakallah khair. Thank you so much for taking the time to share with us your advice and your insights. Can I ask you to close with a short dua? May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless us in all of our affairs. May Allah tabarak wa ta'ala fill our hearts with light, and fill our hearts with goodness. May Allah Taala bless us to be people of Ihsan and uphold the character of our Prophet وسلم, in all of our different affairs. May Allah Taala that bless us and to bless our families and to bless our communities and to give us all the utmost strength to be able to face the challenges of our time, Ya Rahman Rahmin, and be able to respond to them to them in a way that is most pleasing to him. May Allah Tabaraka wa Ta'ala bless us to be able to have the foresight to be able to do that what is most important, be able to do what is most lasting and most beneficial for the future of Islam in the West and that wherever Islam does spread, Ya Rahman Rahmin, may Allah Tabaraka wa Ta'ala connect our hearts to him, bless us to be people who find intimacy in his remembrance, Ya Rahman Rahmin, and to be able to have hearts that are attached to the Quran and to the sea to our Prophet Muhammad may Allah ta'ala that make there to be many inheritors of the Rasul in these lands wherever which people have access to that the teachings of our Prophet that will bring about the greatest good for all of humanity in this world and the next Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, we'd appreciate if you left us a review on iTunes and Google Play. Help Seekers Hub spread the light of guidance to millions around the world by supporting us through monthly donations by going to seekershub.org slash donate. Your donations are tax deductible in the U.S. and Canada.